Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Hi, you road to growth listeners. Today I have Kelly Reese. Uh, she is a soulful leadership coach. Is that, did I say it right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh, this is a question I ask to all the coaches, mentors, men, I mean, everyone out there, consultants, how would, how do you separate yourself from other coaches, other um, senseis, consultants, how would you separate yourself from them? That's a great question. You know, the thing that I like to help my clients get to is a point where they don't need me. <laughs> they don't need to continue uh going down that healing path at the level that they do when they first get to me. Um, my goal is for them to be able to stand on their own, have their own back, rely on who they are and trust themselves. And, and I work individually with them because of the work that I do is so deep. Um, so I think that that sets me apart in how I work and the goal that I have for them, you know, is for them to, even during the process is for them to completely rely on their own guidance, their own intuition on there to ask the right questions and um, as a mentor and guide, but I'm not feeding them all the answers because I don't know what's best for their life. I don't know what's best for them. They know, they just don't know that they know. <laughs> now you're talking about, so is it kind of getting into self-realize, I guess, kind of where the answer's at or is there, What's that yeah. Possible? So, so the women I work with, they're in, they're high level in business management, um, corporate, uh, their own businesses, entrepreneurs, founders, and they are, they've gotten to this role by pushing themselves really hard to get there. And at some point, all that pushing stops working and they look around and think, oh, this is what I work so hard for. And they feel like something's missing and they just don't know what it is. And they're, they're questioning themselves. They realize that pushing's not working anymore. So that's their their go-to way. And so they start feeling like they um, they're not good enough. They try to they overcompensate. They look they all their perfectionism stuff comes up. And so what I really do is I help them overcome their self-worth issues. Um, mm. They have chronic self-worth issues. And it's not imposter syndrome. What's uh, what's the difference between self-worth and imposter syndrome? So the self-worth issues that I deal with, a lot of times when people come to me, they think they have imposter syndrome because they're dealing with anxiety, they're dealing with perfectionism, they're dealing with not feeling good enough. The self-worth that I, um, the way that I work with my clients around self-worth is that it's chronic self-worth and it's things that happened to them when they were younger in their childhood. And so they're mm -hmm. reacting to situations in their work life, um, which bleeds over into their personal life that actually are triggered from childhood childhood wounding um so a lot of different uh, different levels of that so that's what we work on so you would define self-worth worth i guess as more Not uh, feeling good enough it's a chronic a chronic the work the way that i work is that it's chronic and it's um yeah. this chronic feeling of just not feeling good enough and then how would you define a positive just a, a, a hurdle to come over a mindset in the moment yeah or? i think that the way that i that people approach a imposter syndrome everybody has some level of imposter syndrome at some point and the way that people approach imposter syndrome isn't necessarily working for the the reasons that my clients are struggling and so that's how i came upon 
the way that I work with my clients because I thought I had imposter syndrome as well. And it was born completely out of my own experience from running a $34 million organization and working my way to the top of a 17-year career and then realizing, one, <laughs> all that pushing had taken my health <laughs> and it was no longer working for me. You know, it was like, I just couldn't do it anymore. And so then when I was left without like, okay, I'm at the top, now what? Then I was left with, okay, what's missing? And then I realized this isn't even what I want to do. But while I was realizing all of these different things, I was feeling incredibly filled with, I was filled so much anxiety and questioning myself, second guessing, um, which wasn't how it was before. It was just like, I had a goal, I was focused, you know? And so the things that people use to deal with imposter syndrome were not working for me. And so I was like, I have to go deeper. This isn't just a case of imposter syndrome, me not feeling good enough. I'm, I'm going to push through a lot of times what, you know, they deal with the fear factor and just pushing through and showing up and keep doing that. That's not necessarily working. Um, we'll work with the people that I work with. Well, let's talk to, about a young Kelly. Let's rewind a little okay. bit. Who was a young Kelly? Who was a young guy? How far do you want to rewind? <laughs> oh, rewind. Right. Okay. You're born. I'm joking. I mean, were you at a young age, let's say like a little kid, memories that you've grown back, were you leading the pack? Were you kind of behind the pack? I was leading the pack for or? a while. I led the pack for a while. I was really outgoing. Um, I, I remember something that I read in uh, my mom saved everything. And so I read something that like a second grade teacher wrote, like Kelly knows all the answers. She raises her hand all the time. She needs to let other people <laughs> chime in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that could be taken as she's really smart or she's a know-it-all and she needs to shut the hell up, you know? So, um, but I was tempered. Um, so, and I had um, some experiences happen to me. I was sexually abused when I was five years old and I did not remember until I was 20, but every decision that I made between five and 20 was predicated on that experience. I just didn't know that at the time. And so um, I got into drugs really young and I tried to escape at every turn. And I did, um, I did all kinds of drugs. I was smoking pot at 11, um, I tried to escape and get out of myself and just do anything to not be here. I just remember one time looking at the sky and just yelling, like I knew there was something else, some other energy out there. And I do a lot of energy work in the work that I do. And I just yelled and was like, just tell me what the F I'm supposed to do here so I can get the hell off this planet, you know? Um, so it was that um, I had, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't idyllic, <laughs> but you know, all those experiences have really led me to the work that I do and the way that I'm able to help people. You know, I work with a lot of women who have um, issues from parental stuff, trauma. Um, they've had experiences similar to mine. They have eating disorders, they're in recovery, those kind of things. Um, you know, and I wouldn't be able to help them and do the work that I do without having those experiences. But young Kelly, I would say, was acting out, <laughs> avoiding school, uh, cutting school and um, hanging out with boys. <laughs> well, how did you come to to realize that the issues were coming from when you were sexually abused at, at five? Was it self-realization that you needed help or was it an exterior 
figure what, what happened there? So I knew I wasn't happy. I had moved after college. I moved to New York city and, and so, you know, change of scenery kind of thing. And I knew I wasn't happy and I was really easy to kind of disappear into New York city. That was, that was the nice thing. Uh, you know, in New York in my twenties, it was kind of like, I always like to say, I kind of threw up all over New York city and nobody really cared. <laughs> and so, um, I had, was watching an episode of Oprah and there was a woman on Oprah who was describing what happened to her. And when she described that, everything came rushing back. And I was like, oh my God, it was like a floodgate opened because it was so familiar and I just remembered. And so my first thought, and I remember it clearly was, well, I got this far and it didn't affect me. So it must not be a big deal, but that wasn't true. And so it took, took me another, that was probably when I was 22, another three years to go to really hit bottom and decide this is, I can't live like this. And so in New York, I walked into an AA meeting. They were everywhere. And in AA, I remember sitting in that room, looking around and thinking, God, these people look really happy. And they were smiling, you know, for the most part, they felt good. And I was like, I really want what they have. And if this is what they did to get that, then I'm in, you know? You, you so you went to college. Now, mm -hmm. uh, a person that was, I guess, sexually abused, trying to find a way out, screaming to the world, taking drugs. I mean, college is not a mandatory thing. I guess some level of education. Of My parents, were, okay. they forced me to go to college. I hated school. Uh -huh. I did not want to go. I made an agreement. I said, I'll go to college if I can, I'm going to major in what I want to major in. So I yep. did theater. I love doing theater. So I took, I became a theater major. And so my degree is in theater. Did you have a close relationship to your parents? Mm, my parents were the age of, they're both gone. My parents were the age of my friend's grandparents. They had me really late in life. And so mm. I, I wouldn't say we were close. My sister has a very different experience with my parents she will she hears about what i say she's eight years older you know and it's like we had two different two different family dynamics it's really interesting but no i wouldn't say i was close my dad chose discipline over love uh we worked it out in the end but um that was really hard to grow up with um his by his admission he chose discipline over love and my mom was um i learned how to be fearful from her she was afraid of everything oh, wow. um, they both loved me in the way that they knew how you know, but um, they did not have to know. They, I think they probably knew I was the rebel and the things that I was doing. They didn't know to the extent, you know, they didn't know I was taking hardcore drugs and doing crazy shit. Um, but they, uh, they just, they looked the other way a lot of the time because they just didn't know what to do about it. Did they look away or what happened with the, the sexual abuse when that happened at a young age? So they didn't know. Nobody knew. The person that um, he had said to me, you know, this is our secret, all the things that they tell you. And so told me not to tell anybody. And I didn't, you know, when I remembered, I ended up um, from New York. My dad was living in the Bay Area in San Francisco Bay Area. And from New York, I did eventually end up calling my dad and telling him, you know, hey, this is what happened. Um, he was very, he put a lot of pressure on me to be the way he wanted me to be mm -hmm. in, you know, in him trying to, uh, 
help me avoid the mistakes that he made. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he gave me mixed messages. You can do whatever you want as long as it was kind of like followed up with a, as long as you have health insurance or as long as you, you know. Um, so I did end up calling him and telling him that. And and that was the that was the phone call where he told me, you know, I chose discipline over love. And I I left the I left a lot to your mother and I probably I should have done that differently. Um, and that did start a healing process for us, but it was, um, it was a long road for sure. Um, but he didn't know, he said, you know, I had no idea that happened if I had known, um, you know, he's, and he apologized. You know? Did, when, when you were, I mean, so you're, you're in college yourself, you kind of realize everything that kind of went on as a child. I mean, I've had other people on that had similar situations and there's kind of a mixed bag. Some people, blame themselves that they allowed it to happen and other people blame basically the people they had around them. Were you looking at either direction or how did that looking back on no, it? No. And I didn't, I was, I remembered when um, I was in New York, I had already graduated from college, which was in, was in New York already. Um, no, I was just mad. <laughs> okay. I was just mad at the world. Mm. I was mad at, you know, if you, if you could put up with me, then you were my friend. It was pretty much how I viewed things. Wow. Yeah. And I just, I just, I was really, for most of my childhood, I was emotionless. You know, mm. I can even recall being a cheerleader in high school and, you know, you have to have some <laughs> amount of energy. Um, and I, doing the cheers, I was just like, you know, go. <laughs> <laughs> just had, I was just, I was like, I was very emotionless. I was very controlled. Everything was about, for me, was about trying to control everything. Now, graduate college, yourself kind of healing yourself. And then from there, you go into the corporate world? I went to, I went to New York for acting. I went to continue on after college to acting school. So that's how I ended up in New York. And, um, I, did, I was temping and, you know, as an actor, you're either a waitress or a temp. <laughs> so I was temping and uh, I did start working for a Wall Street investment firm. And that's where I started working in corporate. It's amazing to me that I ended up in a desk job because I hated that job so much. You know, I ended up yeah. working at this um, investment banking firm for, I don't know, two years, putting myself through acting school. And it was... Uh, it was challenging. I was the assistant to the CFO and the CEO, and it was very misogynistic and um, it was bad. It was not a good experience. There were some days the elevator would open and I would feel physically ill stepping off that elevator to go into that place. So, um, so I left as soon as I could. The money was really good. It's the most money I made. I had made in a long time. How long did it take you to, to leave there? Two and a half years. Okay. And then two and a half years, where do you go to next? Uh, I became a waitress. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I started waiting tables. And then and then I was and then I went to AA and uh, to get my head on straight and was and realized, oh my God, it just I you know, it's like a fog lifts, you know. And then I was sixty days in AA and my mom died. And so that just kind of threw me for a loop. And um, it was actually, it was my mom dying was the, I had gone out to her funeral. And when I got back, I called the, the company and told them I was never coming back. And so, um, so I got that out of order a little bit. 
but I had gone to AA and then 60 days later she died and then I didn't return back. So um, I spent six months just kind of flailing, uh, you know, going to AA meetings, trying to stay sober and wanting to, uh, wanting to just get somewhere other than where I was, you know, it was like so painful to lose my mom and be by myself in New York. I, I had friends in New York, but I felt really alone. I think that that was one of the most profound things in, I never wanted to be alone. I hated spending time with myself alone, but um, even when I was with people, I also felt really isolated and alone. So it was kind of like this, this perpetuating thing where it was just um, this deep loneliness that I always, I felt like I carried around with me everywhere. And then from there, you take six months off just flailing. Yeah, I was rollerblading up and down the Hudson. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and uh, still carrying on the acting Riding dream? bikes. I was in therapy and I was in AA. And were you still carrying on the, the acting dream? Uh, you know, what was I? I was waiting tables. So, yeah, I must have been thinking I was, I was dating actors. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I still was thinking I wanted to be an actress. And eventually what my acting career career led to was uh, I gave myself five years when I left college. I said, I'll give my five years. And if, if I'm not at a level that I think I need to be at, then I'll do something else. I didn't know what that something else was, but I ended up opening a restaurant, which seemed like a really good idea because I had waited tables. <laughs> it didn't work out that way. <laughs> so you gave up acting and opened up a restaurant? I did. I opened a vegan vegetarian restaurant in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. How, how did that turn out? Uh, it it was, well, the restaurant was there. I, I'll say this. <laughs> it was a cluster and um, I didn't know what I was doing. And, and, but the restaurant, I had a partner, the restaurant that we created was there for 17 years. So it couldn't have been all bad. Um, yeah. But I was totally bankrupt when I left that place and um and I knew that I needed to to do I needed to not be doing restaurant work any longer because it's just exhausting um and, and so I had the restaurant for three years and then moved to uh left New York and on a whim <laughs> moved to Asheville North Carolina and what kind of job did you get there uh so I had loved baking at my restaurant. And so I became a baker and that didn't last long because I did not like the hours. So then I went on the road selling cookware, <laughs> high-end cookware at home and garden shows all across the country, which was great because I love traveling. And so for a year, I just traveled and sold cookware at, um, you know, those people that you see doing the cookware demonstrations at home and garden shows and fairs. I was doing that. And I made okay. great money. <laughs> it was great because I, I had a script. I loved cooking. It was like these two things, the acting and the cooking game together. And, and I loved the cookware. I still have it to this day. So, um, so it worked out really well. Well, I guess while you were finding kind of what path to go down, were you finding more about who you were? Cause it, and were you as angry as you were before? Or? Oh, I was pissed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was still angry. Yeah. And it, it's like, uh, it, it's like AA, what I realized, I never, I didn't end up staying in AA because what I realized was I wasn't addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to escape and alcohol was just one of the ways that I chose to try to escape. 
There was a lot of different other ways. The anger was just a barrier to keep people distance from me so that I didn't have to engage at a level that would, you know, set me up for further hurt. So I kept people at a distance. Um, I had really thick walls around me. Um, and at that time, I was also in an abusive relationship. So um, the person who was my business partner was also um, verbally and physically abusive. And so getting at when I realized, like, I've got to get out of this relationship, I say, like, I, plot, I had to plot my escape so that um, it sounds dramatic, but I wanted to do it so that I would know I would be free from him because we had a lot of things tied up together mm. and I didn't want to have to deal with him ever again. So I really like methodically thought out all these different processes and made him believe that it was his idea to, you know, move for him to move to Florida. And, but it took some time to like unravel myself from that relationship and that experience. Um, so I was making, I just, I, I didn't make very good decisions most of the time, you know, it was just kind of like, I didn't ever, I really asked myself, is this what you want to be doing? Is this, is this right? How does this feel? It was just kind of like, Oh, this is what showed up next. Okay. I guess this is where I'll go, you know? Um, moving from New York city to Asheville, North Carolina, it's like, I went down there for, I don't know, 22 hours or something like that, just to check it out. And was like, okay, I can live here. And then moved everything after living in New York for nine years down to North Carolina, not really ever thinking, oh yeah, I'd love to go to North Carolina, you know, it just kind of happened. <laughs> so, um, so my, and my picker was broken. I never really picked <laughs> I picked some winners for you know to spend some time with um but once once in Asheville um and he was the person I was with with also selling cookware we were doing this thing together so it really took a good year uh split things apart and um get things separated to where I was like okay I'm keeping this house that we rented, I'm keeping the truck and then got him some things for him to go. He really wanted to go live in Florida. So it was like, great, here's my out, you know? No. And then just made sure I was like locked down from then on as far as con communication and things like that. And then when did you end up moving to, to Mexico? Was that with from? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've kind of lived all over. Okay. <laughs> so I went uh, New York to North Carolina, to Montana, to Colorado, back to California. And then, uh, and I got married in there. Uh, the person after um, the abusive relationship I married, um, you know, he was wonderful. He's my ex-husband now. We're still really good friends, but, you know, it was, I didn't have enough time to be on my own or I showed up in that relationship with a lot of um, internal damage, you know, mm -hmm. that I had never, I hadn't, I hadn't had a chance to, to really wrestle with kind of the, that inner work that needed to happen. And so that contributed to killing the marriage for sure. Um, there's two people in that marriage, obviously, but, uh, and I wrote, my second book is about what happened in that marriage and how, um, how I came to understand you know, that that person that I was with was no longer the person I was meant to be with, um, even though I loved him. And even though, you know, for the most part, things were pretty good. Um, I just knew. So after I, I 
I left my job, <laughs> that 17 year career, uh, which almost killed me. And then um, I left my marriage 18 months later, and then I moved to Mexico. So that 17 year career, it was at one company? No. So I worked um, in natural food. So my restaurant was, um, I kept the theme. Yeah. <laughs> my restaurant was a vegan vegetarian restaurant. And so um, I thought after selling the cookware was, well, if I work in natural foods or some kind of like market, I'll get a discount <laughs> toward mm. my toward my eating habit because <laughs> I had a habit of eating healthy food. So I got the discount. Um, so I ended up working for uh, natural foods cooperatives. And I did work for one privately owned natural foods market when I was in Montana. But for the most part, I I went from um, different food cooperatives around the country and ended up managing one in um, California, which was the $34 million organization that I was running. Your, your story, I mean, it sounds like, I mean, uh, you, you talked about the idea that trying to find a way out, not finding the right location, movement, and kind of just constantly moving around, trying to mm -hmm. be okay, I guess, in your own skin. Yeah. Are you... Are you currently okay in your own skin? <laughs> Are you asking because I live in an airstream? <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, we're, no, I'm we're, kidding. We, we, each, we each fall in our avenue. Maybe that's basically yeah. where you're meant to be. Well, I do love traveling. My home is in an airstream. And, you know, part of that is because I never really know where I'm going to end up. Um, I, I, before I, before COVID, I was doing uh, retreats and called Sacred Soul Journeys, taking women to different places around the around the globe, um, and doing these journeys. But I had to stay put with COVID, so I was like, "Well, I'll get an airstream," and you know, that's kind of the best of both words worlds. But yeah, when I left Mexico, that that was in 2017, and that was for me, that's when the healing really began. I had been doing work all along since I was in AA. I knew I wasn't going to drink again in the way that I did before, because what AA gave me was a connection to source, to spirit, to God, whatever you want to call it. I was not going to let anything get in that way, get in the way of that connection that I had found again. And so for me, I knew that I wasn't at a risk for drinking again, because I felt that so strongly and i've been healing all along the way but leaving the country going out on my own traveling by myself coming working with different healers around the world um there was a healer in bali that i worked with that you know that process brought me back to myself and that is really what allowed me to finally settle into being comfortable in my skin do you think if you would have gone through the, the process that you went through uh, in Bali earlier on, it would have had the same lasting effect on you? No, I think every single thing happened at the exact time that it was meant to. I worked with somebody in Tulum. I had gone to Tulum a few a, a, a year and a half earlier before I'd moved there and I had worked with somebody there and I knew I needed to go back and work with that person because he was all about the work that he did was all about heart opening. And I knew like my heart was locked down, you know, it was very much, there was walls on top of walls to protect me, no matter how hard I wanted to say, I, Oh yeah, I'm willing to, to be present here in this with you or with myself. There was a level of, separation you know and so for me 
working with the people that I worked with happened in the order that it needed to happen in order for me to get where I am now. Is there like when you work, when you work with clients and someone's baby, you can kind of see a piece of you in them emotionally, Mm -hmm. right? Yet their work is going well, they're stable there. I mean, how much do you kind of give them guidance on where they need to get to or allow the journey to happen or just kind of push them on that journey or, or what happens there? So are you, are you saying that, but there's something going on and they don't know yeah, what there's, it is kind there's of something, thing? There's something going on. And it, I mean, I know you talked about the idea that it, you had to go through the stuff you went through to get to where you are now in a, in a good place. Right. Yeah. I mean, is there ways to allow those people to move faster to get to the place that you are, you are now? It's so great that you asked that question. Part of the work that uh, when I left my job, when I left my career, uh, I, I wanted to help people transform and heal. It's just part of who I am. It's, I loved coaching in my job. Um, I loved the like professional development work for the people that I worked with. And so that's what I t- took with me. As I have been working with women and clients over the last, uh, what, six years, five or six years, um, I had two years ago, I was like, all right, universe, I know this can be faster. My people need this to happen faster than this 20, you know, 25 year journey that I've been on trying to figure this crap out going, what the hell is going on? You know, uh, come to find out there really was nothing to figure out. It was just part of the journey. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I started doing, um, I started really diving deeply into traditional Chinese medicine and how we hold emotions. Emotions get stuck in our body. And that's where I started coming at the challenges that my clients have. And that's when things started really picking up. So the program that I do now is six months, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's very transformative. And there's other things that happen besides just um, clearing work with the body. But for me, I had to address the things that were stuck within my body because of the fact that I tried affirmations. I tried mindset. I tried all of the things they tell you to try and it didn't work. It did not budge. I had to add in that piece of these, there's emotions that get, they get lodged. Right. And if, if if you freeze up when you, um, when something bad happens to you, it's you're not allowing anger or frustration or there's so many different things, but they get lodged in our body and they get stuck. And so those are the things that that's where I come at it from rather than the mind stuff. We do work on mind mindset and different things, but I have to approach what's going on in their body first. And you, I can see it when they're talking. I can see them tense up or, you know, sometimes it's really subtle, but um but it's there. And once we do clearings of the things that are within their body, that's when, um, that's when they, they reach out the next day and they're like, Oh my God, I feel so much different. Or I was able to do a 600 person presentation today and I didn't even think twice about it or that kind of thing. You know, do you remember the, the, the moment when you felt strong enough in who you were to feel comfortable enough to help other people get to where they need to get to? No, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I think I'm still working on that. (laughs) Um, You know, and I I think 
that's to my benefit because I always, I feel like I'm one of those people who's always searching and always kind of, I'm a seeker, you know? And so not only am I seeking to, to go more deeply with myself, but I'm also seeking to, to go more deeply in the work that I do. And so mm. I think, I don't know if I'll ever feel, you know, the word that's coming up is satisfied, but I don't know if I'll ever feel like, Oh yeah, this is it. I got it. It keeps morphing and changing. And, and, um, and I think for me that works really well, but I also think for my clients, it's really beneficial because, um, I, I add in and bring in new things and refine as I take more and more women through the program that I have. If we're talking, let's say in five years from now, uh, where do you, where do you plan to be? Where do you think your business is going to be? It's so funny because my mind is like, you're working on being in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, um, yeah, you know, it's it's so interesting because a lot of the work that I do, I, I will say, like, I call them divine downloads. It just comes in. I don't feel like I have I my process is kind of let it come in and flow, you know, and let just let it be there and then act on it and Thankfully, I have amazing women in who I work with who, you know, like, okay, here's what's here's what dropped in. This is what happened last year. I was like, are you willing to let me take you through this this six month program? Mm -hmm. And a number of them said yes. And so I don't I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to be in five years. You know, I would love to put down roots. I love yeah. where I'm living right now. And so um I, I could see how I like to have a place that feels like I have an anchor somewhere rather than just traveling. I'm, I'm one. I need an anchor. I learned that after the two years of traveling, um, I need to have a place where my roots are and then I can go off and do stuff. But um, I don't know. <laughs> how do you, I mean, I think there's some people that live for the moment. Some people live for the future, right? And it's finding that that sweet spot, that balancing act of doing for both. For yourself, how do you weigh the opportunity of the now compared to basically the ramifications of what that opportunity might have down the road or, or your plan down the road? I'm a huge planner. Okay. <laughs> so you're uh... – my, the planner in me, the, you know, logical mind is like, oh, yes, let's talk about this. <laughs> I love planning. I have also seen that my plan, I could plan everything out perfectly. And mm -hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't come out the way that I plan. And so I've learned to just live more in the flow of things, which for a planner is not super easy for a recovering control lover, um, somebody who like had to control all the pieces in the marriage with my partner, my ex, with me, um, it has been, it's been challenging and rewarding to just let go and flow and just trust in where this path is going. Um, cause it isn't always exactly the way that I want it to be, you know, but I've learned to just, after moving so many times and being all over the place, I've learned to just allow myself to, to, um, in AA, we call it surrender. I don't totally love that that term. Flow works better for me, um, but for for me to to just let go and stop trying to control all the pieces is is what set me free. 
is there anything that if you could talk to your younger self, that 20 year old woman, uh, any advice, any feedback, any, any words of wisdom? Yeah, I would definitely that, that I had mentioned this earlier there, that there's nothing to figure out. I spent so long trying to figure out how to be happy, how to feel better, how to heal, how to, <laughs> how to, you know, have a perfect relationship, how to be better, how to do all the things right, you know, how to figure out what was missing. It's just like this, the thing that I'm talking about that just kind of letting go and being in the moment and flowing that piece, that is so much easier than just sticking sticking with this idea that there's something to figure out because anytime I tried to figure it out anyways, you know, it, it didn't work out <laughs> the way that I imagined, hoped, planned, wrote in my journal or whatever, you know? Um, so yeah, there's nothing to figure out. It's the big secret. That's <laughs> what I would tell myself. <laughs> well, thank you, Kelly, for being here. Uh, hopefully you. everyone listening. Yeah. I got some great nuggets from you. If, if someone's listening and they want to basically, they see that they're, they're a young Kelly and they want to get to where you are now. What's the best way of them reaching out to you or maybe finding one of your books and getting more about your story? Yeah, my books on, are on Amazon, uh, Destiny Roadmap and the Relationship Roadmap. And then uh, they can reach out to me at my website too, uh, kellyreese.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you, Kelly, again, for being here. Thank Everyone, you, please, yeah, please reach out, find Kelly. Uh, please subscribe, please share. And again, thank you, Kelly. Happy holidays. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.